It's that time again. We go beyond the jive. Join our hosts, John Swan and Natalie B. Brave the sting of beekeeping to reap the sweet rewards. All you hive jive junkies out there, this is the hive jive. Well, hello, beautiful. <laughs> well, hello, young man. Handsome. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing well. Um, I, uh, I I hear that you have new toys. Oh, yes. I got myself a, a new computer, a new desktop, and a new laptop. I, I see uh, I see honeycomb creeping in the background of my of my Up screen. There. Yeah, let me uh, whoops. Let's see if I can fix that real quick. Hey, looky there. Now it's just a bee. It's just a bee. I've got uh, storage boxes and I've got uh, Les Crowder's books on the side. And so you guys don't mind me. That new computer, that desktop has a wide angle and I haven't adapted yet to it. So everything's showing in the field of vision. Not <laughs> a problem. I mean, you know, what? it's an office and it's still, even though you have like these things here and there, it still looks very organized and uh, yeah. <laughs> you're not seeing what's closer to the desk. <laughs> I can't see the ground. You're right. I can't see what is down below all that. So there we go. Okay. Now I'm fixed. So now we've got the, the cherry blossoms in the background. Um, Screen. Yeah, that that's literal. <laughs> the, the honeycomb that was creeping in was the digital aspect and I didn't have the green screen set up today. So I was running a little behind, but no, you've got, you know, you've got these nice bookshelves over there. Everything over there is all nice and organized. This is comb. That is comb sitting on the very top yeah. shelf. You're right. It's yeah. top bar comb. That's right. With the rescue bar on the bottom of it. Yes, I think so. Wow, yeah. you can really see. You told me that you couldn't see the details. I As I was said, complaining, the definition was too good for my <laughs> comfort. Uh, wrinkles no, <laughs> you, you are glowing and beautiful. I have really good eyes and I'm very keen on what that looks like because I do right. it all the time. So it just... Yeah. It just jumped out at me, but no, it, it, it all looks good. So, um, you know, while we're, we're having these random conversations about space and organization that, that oddly enough leads into today's topic. <laughs> That's exactly right. Space management. <laughs> space management and organization. So it, this is, this is not meant to be, um, no, no matter how it may come off for our audience out there, by this point, you know, that we are all, uh, partial to top bar style hives. Both of us, me uh -huh. and the extremist. I'm the soapbox person. <laughs> yes, yes. And I, I try to be more encompassing, but at the same time, I do prefer that. And there are legitimate reasons for those types of preferences. And so we're going to talk about that today because what I have been doing the last two weekends is building an expansion to my storage shed to literally double the space <laughs> Because I need places to store things. For which type of hive? Well, it just so happens it's Langstroth's fault. Uh. <laughs> so if it was just top bars, if I had my, my one single hive that is up here at the moment, if it were a top bar hive, I would need storage space for maybe a five-gallon bucket full of extra bars, maybe some of those with the rescue uh, wire already attached to it. And two more five-gallon buckets that I use for my crush and strain, and then the strainer that actually goes into them, 
and that would be it. I would be done because everything else would be out in the field in the apiary. I wouldn't need any additional space, but I did have about half of my hives. All of them were Langstroth. And the one hive that I have now is Langstroth. Langstroth has frames. Frames, these specific frames have at least wire, if not uh, plastic foundation. And therefore they have an extractor. I actually have two extractors. I have a portable remote hand crank two frame extractor that is one of the uh, tangential restract, uh, extract, restractors, <laughs> extractors. And then I've got one of the larger eight frame radial extractors that's electric and motor powered because cranking those things suck. And those two things need a place to stay. I have just for this one hive, I have at least five additional boxes, all full of frames. I've got a couple of bags of frames that have drawn comb that have been preserved and are ready for storage. And all that stuff needs somewhere to go. Now that's also not counting all of the plastic nuke boxes that I have, because I kept all of those despite selling everything else. Um, the, that is uh, both the hard shell. Well, it's, it's both. It's the hard shell plastic solid ones and the the easy jester nuke type corrugated plastic ones both um so i've got both of those <laughs> so and that's just that's one hive guys that's just one hive one hive and and future potential splits and or swarm trap catch type things um and that that's all we're not talking four or five colonies we're just talking one so way back in the day on uh the i think it was the first season of the podcast i told a story about going to canada and doing some consulting work with Hannigan Honey up there. And at the time, Hannigan Honey ran 1,500 Langstroth hives. Oh my. They were expanding to 2,000 to 2,500, and they had a rotation set up where there was always about 500 off to the side that were nukes that were going to be the next year's incoming colonies. Right. And then the ones that were three years old rotated out and got broken back up and, and used for other purposes. So I got to go tour their storage facility. It, <laughs> it was a warehouse that yeah. was two to three times the size of a traditional red barn that you would see on a farm. It was massive. It was floor to ceiling, medium boxes with comb in them, plus stacks and pallets that had all the bottom boards or all the lids, all the inner covers, this types of stuff. And it looked like a Tetris maze. You walk in. And you actually curve all the way through all this stuff. And they're just everywhere, floor to ceiling. And the ceiling, the ceiling was up there. We're talking like 30 foot ceilings. And it was all the way up. Thousands up on thousands of boxes. So if you just think about 1500 colonies and you assume that is at the average time of the season, one box, because they overwinter theirs in a single deep or a deep and a medium. Right. And then whenever you add in, well, they can stack in their flow, they can stack <laughs> up to nine boxes on top of that single hive. So nine times 1,500. Insane. That's a lot of crap that you have to store. Well, you have to spend money on that storage area. You yep. have to, all they that built money one. also <laughs> invested into that equipment. That's right. That's expensive. It is very expensive. And when I first started off, I did start off with two Langstroth colonies. And 
Then when I became keen on top bar and started realizing that I could use the top bar with the rescue bar method to do my removals, Mm -hmm. it was much less stuff for me to carry around. It was way easier to manipulate and do. And my removal success rate, not the removal itself, but the survival and and capture rate of the colony without them dying or absconding went up into like the 90 percentile just from switching from Langstroth to top bar. Oh God. And it was like maybe 50, maybe sometimes 30. I mean, it was not pretty when I was trying to do the Langstroth stuff and you have to have all that additional equipment that goes along with it. And I lived at the time in Austin uh, when I first started, I was in a duplex. I was on the tiny side of a duplex because I traded it out for the massive backyard. It was this beautiful setup because I'm an outdoors right. person. So the house on one side of the duplex was three bedroom, two bath. They had a big front yard, but their backyard was this tiny sliver. Mm. On the other side, it was a two bedroom, one bath, very small little house with a tiny sliver, basically big enough for an extra parking spot in the front on the other side of the driveway. But the backyard was massive. It was yeah. like bigger than the whole front and the house and every. It was awesome. And that's where I originally had the two colonies. That's where I originally had the chickens. That's where I had the, the pond with the waterfall and the stream and all that fun stuff. And there was a storage shed out there. The lawnmower had to park beside the storage shed because the storage shed was full of bee stuff. <laughs> so... When I learned from the elements, because it's a three quarter of an inch thick. Right. right? Exactly. You know, and it's got, you know, yeah, you don't want anything bad happening to all of it. You, you know, you got to keep it protected. And, um, and in fact, I think there was a stack of older boxes behind the storage shed between the storage shed and the fence as well, because there wasn't enough room. So, and that was just the two colonies that I had, plus the first few removals that I was doing that were going into Langstroth colonies as well. And I was building nuke boxes to hold them and all this other stuff. And so storage just got ridiculous. Switching over to a top bar, all of that went away. And I spent three years (laughs) diligently working to get rid of all of my Langstroth colonies so that I could get down to just top bars. And at one point, 80% of my colonies were all top bar. Oh, wow. That's good. Then all this random stuff started happening because by then I was the what president of the Travis County beekeepers association. I was a director for the Texas beekeepers association. Um, I had my business entities. My name was out there. We were doing youth scholarship programs. You know, we were helping with all this stuff. I was helping schools set up um, programs for beekeeping for their elementary schools. And we were putting them out there on the school properties. Like all this stuff was going on. So, and then the podcast was going on. And by that point, when somebody would get into beekeeping and they would decide that it wasn't for them, or if the bees started causing a problem and they were in town and they had to go somewhere, all these other things started coming up slowly, but surely I started inheriting colonies that people couldn't manage or didn't want or whatever the case was. Then COVID happened and all the schools shut down and most of the schools had to do something with their colonies. So those got donated back to the apiary. and. Pretty soon, by the time it came time for me to start liquidating things before I left Texas, I had a majority of all my colonies were Langstroths and I was pissed. (laughs) (laughs) No wonder you got it. What I remember is you got rid of it for a ridiculously low price. Oh, that that pile of stuff that I put out in front of my house that was all of the extra equipment that came from both my garage, the attic, and a storage facility that I was paying rent on. And I cleaned it all out. I put it in the driveway. I took a picture of it. 
And I was basically like $200, make this shit go away. <laughs> and I, I remember you were talking about selling this stuff and you were, I don't know how much I should be selling it for. And then you posted the picture and the ad on Facebook. And when I saw the price, I was like, I want it. But by then somebody like, oh God, yeah. It was like 30 seconds after posting it. My phone just started going ding, 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 ding. And, and people were like, are you crazy? I was not, I, I not going to uh, want it to use it necessarily. Although I do have some Langstroth equipment, but I, I was like, well, for the club, anybody, you know, right. can sell it to some people that are looking for equipment that's used and all stuff. Yeah. It was, it was a bargain and it was really hard to pass up. Even Super if you bargain. are somebody that's just straight yeah, top Ross bar, you were like, what the hell? <laughs> you had Ross rounds equipment and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. I did. I had, I had two setups of Ross rounds plus one that was never even opened and built yet. Brand new. I had all the additional, cartridges and containers and things for them so that you could switch them out and put the clamshells over them once they were drawn and like all this stuff. Oh my God, it was ridiculous. So oh. that's, that's what I tell people that are starting. It was like, you really want to take, kind of think about what your goals are and what your circumstances are. So do you have any st storage space or do you not? Do you have commercial um, um, uh, reasons to keep bees? Like you want to sell honey, you want to do production, you want to go volume, you want to do all kinds of stuff. At that point, um, that kind of guides what kind of hive you're going to want to kind of look into. And when you're taking classes, most people will tell you Langstroth, 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 because everybody else has got it. That's fine, but that's mostly the, the configuration for commercial beekeeping and, and making an income with uh, the bees in, in a way. Not that you cannot with top bars. We're making a killing less than like with top bar hives. And I can, you know, that's a something for another episode. But uh, the point is that any single hive that you have with Langstroth, to your point, is going to require a lot of equipment. When you're harvesting, actually, when you get started in the spring, you have one deep of whatever size you have. And this is, I'm going to, I'm going to interrupt you real quick. You probably can't see that, but Ken Milam is calling me. <laughs> oh, <I can>. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sorry, Ken, you're going to have to go to voicemail and I'll call you back. <laughs> for, for now until, uh, yeah. But you got one deep and then all of a sudden you've got to run or, or prep to have a, a super on because uh, you have to add equipment. You cannot put all that space up front on top of the hive. That's the other aspect of this, the space management in the hive, the space management for the equipment, and then the space management for the hive itself. When you get started, you don't want to give them too much space because it's highly stressful, especially with that chimney effect. So what happens is that every time you go to an apiary, especially if you have several of them, you have to think about potentially being prepared. So now you're transporting a whole bunch of boxes. What if they don't need it quite yet? You have to take them back and restock them in your storage facility. And, and you do that until they need it. Then they fill it up. Then you have to harvest that box. So you bring it back, you extract it. You have all that equipment now, wet frames uh, and comb that potentially is great for wax moths and mice and all stuff that what well, do you right. do with it? And if you take those wet frames and you put them back on the colony temporarily for them to clean them up, you, you're now... You've brought Greatly it back. Maximi yeah, maximizing the amount of times you're touching and messing with stuff. So you've taken them from the colony, you've extracted them, then you take them back to the colony, then you have to take them back off of the colony quickly before they turn around and start using them again. Yes. Like, so not only is it the space aspect, but the management aspect, you're like tripling the amount of times that you had to touch the colony just to do this one task. Yes. <laughs> and then you have to have the right number of frames in the space, right? So you have to always, if you're doing any kind of manipulations, 
Like for example, that, that example of the super, first of all, if you're putting a medium on top of a deep, now those frames are not matching. You can't mix so, match. They've got to, that's you, exactly right. They've got to stay separate. <laughs> put a, a frame of medium and in a deep, but you, you cannot could. do the opposite. Right. And, and if know, you do put that frame down there, they will draw out comb on the bottom of it and it'll be natural free hanging comb with no support and no foundation. And more than likely, if, if you're doing all foundation frames, Drones. it's going to be all drone comb because they don't have anywhere else to put them. Um, and it's fine. That's healthy for the college. Yeah, yeah, it is. But then also later, if you forget that and you go back and you take something out and say they do cap that with honey or something else, you know, you're like, oh, crap. Now I've got like this half a frame, half of it's hanging off the bottom. It's older wax that's been used for larva and stuff. So I can't use it for honeycomb. I'd have to crush and strain it or like, what do I do with it? Or it breaks off because you pick it up and don't realize that it's attached. Like it just causes some problems. <laughs> Another space management issue. You have eight frames equipment. You have 10 frames equipment if you have both of them then all of a sudden you cannot as much as you want mix and match them so you might have a stack of 10 frames that you cannot use because you've got the majority of those in your in your yard being eight frames and yep, then you yep. potentially mess up and bring the, the oh. 10 frames to your yard and then you've got oh man i, I thought i had the right sizes not yeah. to go back and switch it again yep. ask me how i know i cannot stand it i do it all the time <laughs> i well when i started inheriting things i never had eight frame equipment and mm -hmm. then Ken bought all that crap and right. most all of that was eight frame equipment. And then some of the stuff that I inherited from some of the listeners and some of our, our customers and all these other people was eight frame equipment. And suddenly I have 10 frames is what I was doing. Then I've got eight frame. So I go out and I take boxes back out into the field and I'm putting boxes on hives when it's time to do increase for the spring. And it's exactly what you said. I turn around and I look and I'm like, oh, well, shit, that's a 10 frame box. I need an eight frame box. Well, I don't have an eight frame box on my truck, but I've got all these or extra board. Like, yeah. so exactly. Or I didn't have the bottom board or I've got the lid for the eight and not the 10 and it doesn't yeah. cover it all the way. And you're like, ah. <laughs> now, if it's an eight frame and you have a 10 frame lid, you can put it on top. Yes, but not the other way around. Right. Yeah. So you see, it causes some conundrums. <laughs> okay, for all the 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 uh, calls for standardization and the 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 talk of Langstroth is easier because everything is standardized. Well, it's not really to, true. To a degree, it's the, standardized. The depth and the width and the suppliers. Right. Not everything matches. Right. And if you do, it's Man Lake. If you do Man Lake, their size is like this. But here, I don't know, actually, for people that can't see, this is not going to make any sense. But, the, but their, their width is a set width, and it's either the width or the actual thickness of the, the wood, one or the other. And then Daydant, even though the internal dimensions are identical inside a deep from Daydant and a deep from Manstr Man Lake, if you stick those two Langstroth boxes on top of each other, one of them overlaps and overhangs the other one on the external dimensions. So then you end up with oddities like that too, where technically the inside's fine, but now you got this weird lip on the outside, or you know, you're like, what is this? <laughs> Which is fine under the box that's sticking out. But yeah. if it's a box that's on the bottom and then you have one that's more narrow, then yep. you have the wood that's exposed to the elements that can introduce a lot of moisture and might make it rot as well. Yep. So exactly. that's something to keep in mind. I don't, I, you know, but, okay. So another aspect of things is that when you're transporting all that stuff and you're trying to make splits, then you have to um, take into account, you have to have those um, nuke boxes 
but then you're pulling out uh, a certain number of frames, two, three, four, five. Um, you're limited to those five in those move boxes, by yep. the way. Uh, and then you have to make sure that you have the frames to put back in there. Again, make sure that's the right size. Right. And all that stuff, I'm constantly transporting frames, which if you're not putting them in a box, you have them and they're getting shambles in the back of your truck. And it's a nightmare to grab a handful of them at a time, right? Yep. Whereas you get a, a bucket of bars that contains, I think, 30 is they how all, much I can put They in all there. stay in one spot. <laughs> it's a stick of wood. Uh, <laughs> so it's super easy. They're all interchangeable. When you go into a top bar hive and you're doing anything, uh, let's say you're harvesting comb honey, which is the most valuable one. It's twice as much as uh, liquid honey. Uh, you can just slice it off in the recipient that you're going to take home, like a plastic bucket yeah, or plastic. I do, I do like uh, the plastic storage containers that you can just and put a lid on. Exactly. And yeah. if it, you've got the right size, you can just standing straight up in the box or whatever, or a transport nuke, you know, and you can put up to 10 or however you want to make that size for you for how much you want to be lifting it. That's yeah. very modular when you build those. Uh, but the point is that once you're done cutting it out and take out home the honey, you put that bar right put back, the bar in. back in. They clean it up immediately. You don't take anything home. That's right. And then. Ever. You don't have to worry about coming back after they've cleaned it up and take no. it back off. You just put it on there. They'll clean it up. It'll stay empty wax until they're ready to use it for something else. They may cap some of the top cells because you leave like an inch across there of comb already existing. Like it's perfectly fine. And then there's a guide already in place for the next time they want to go and build comb. You've already left that little strip on there. Exactly. So uh, there's also the preemptive issue. So I run the Hayes County Beekeepers Association beekeeping store. And so we sell Langstroth and Tabar's uh, equipment. So the Tabar equipment, if we already assemble them, they can sit outside. The Langstroth cannot, They have unless they're painted, right. which I don't like painting, by the way, and the Tabar's don't need it because they're slanted inwards underneath and under the rain cover. So they don't get hit by the sun or by the rain. And they can be twice as thick. So That's yeah, right. I mean, they are harder to transport marginally, but if you're not a commercial beekeeper, that's completely moot. Well, also on a top bar, even if you didn't build it twice as thick, it is a two-person job to move one of those because you've got to keep all the bars level. You can't tilt it and have everything fall because it'll break the comb. So you really don't move top bars. Some like less did, he took them and he did pollination with them, but you don't move them that often. You know, no, it's no, more of like, they're cool. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's more like, especially for most of the beekeepers we're going to be talking to here, it's, they're going to set them up in the yard. And if they move it, it might be to the other side of the yard because they figure out that first spot wasn't great, but you're not moving them, you know, like in a commercial operation or a migratory operation. So making them twice as thick and knowing that you, once you set it down, you never have to go back out there and take boxes off and do other things really doesn't matter at that point. Well, I will go even further. Um, I cannot lift a Langstroth full much more than a deep, right? Right. I mean, so I, I could, uh, in the equivalent in a top bar, I can also lift a new yeah. COVID top bar. So what I would do is I would transfer them in there and I would do the same thing to a Lang that was too big. I would put them in transport nukes, yep. right? And break so them down into smaller sizes. But guess what that means? Friends more equipment needed to do the job <laughs> and yeah more, so it's not actually for a, a non-commercial beekeeper that doesn't have something to lift up those boxes on pallets 
there's no really much difference difference even in transportation because mm -hmm. I transport uh, Tabar hives all the time. I might have to do some of that transferring. There's also a way if the if the legs are high enough, you can drop your tailgate and kind of um, uh, slide it in. <laughs> put horses underneath, undo the legs, and then slide it into your pickup truck. See everybody, this is a this is a woman who has got some experience on these. Absolutely. <laughs> she has I'm come up with some snazzy little ideas. <laughs> because we do, um, uh, when our specialty is beekeeping services like uh, turnkey leases, for example, where we bring our own hives onto people's lands and they pay us to maintain them there for the ag exemption. So Which I do does that. mean you are moving colonies that normally would not be moved. I'm <laughs> moving colonies all the time, full sizes. Yes, it's easier when I have two colonies because they can be double. That's another yep. thing. You need less space because a single box can um, uh, two, host yeah. colonies. And so sometimes I ask less because they're full and they're heavy and I don't want to go and do all that manipulation, which I could. I mean, honestly, even when they're big and full, I put them in two or three top bar nukes yep. and I yep. load them up and then I load the hive on the side. So that's not that big of it. I can do it all by myself. Yep. That's right. You um, just have to be clever. Exactly. Resourceful and clever. But the point with the, the Hayes County Beekeepers Association, the beekeeping store, is that that's basically a storage container that we've transformed into an online store that you can come to and pick up your equipment. So those Langstroth boxes, you have to buy the equipment ahead of time in bulk if you want to save any money. And then you have to store all that stuff until it's needed. So it's packed to the gill with um, lots of uh, Langstroth equipment as well. That, you know, if I can go to the um, um, McCoy's or whatever, Home Depot, the, uh, the big box stores and get the, a couple of planks of wood and make my have in less than two hours um, with what I have on site, it's local. I don't depend on the suppliers. I don't depend on the supply chain. Uh, when we had the snowmageddon and all, even COVID, it's kind of um, put a little bit of restrictions on the supplies that are stored somewhere and we can't get to them. So storage space is also an issue there. You have to kind of uh, order more in bulk so that you can sit on it with yeah. lunch trucks. You don't have to do that with uh, top bars, but um, the other aspect of it. Yeah, I will, I will, I will go the other way just because I'm totally biased and, but I will try to be a little bit more objective. So the space management was Langstroth and Tabars. There's a drawback in the top bar if you've got a single colony in there is that it has a larger footprint where Langstroth can go vertical. And so for one colony to, to grow upward, you can put more boxes in a small yard than you would be able to necessarily put a top bar hives. But um, in a single top bar hive, you can put several colonies. You cannot do that in a Langstroth, right? You can put partitions and separate entrances. Uh, in Hayes County, we've been approved for four, up to four colonies in one single tubber hive for ag exemptions. Now, as a beekeeper, you know that's too small unless your tubber hive is like really long. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's fine. We could do that. But we're trying to make them all the same size so that they're, they're fairly transportable. Uniform. Because, and they fit in the back of the truck. <laughs> and I was going to say space management. There you go. If you have more than four feet long, you're asking for trouble for transportation. Because yep. they're not going to fit between the wheel wells of your truck. Right. And potentially not lengthwise either. Now, when you're transporting uh, horizontal highs versus vertical. Yeah, you, you shouldn't do them you can, but you shouldn't do them lengthwise. You you have to go widthwise from side to side because otherwise we, the comb could break. 
And that's true in the in the heat of the day. Um, this being and, and that's true if you drive like me. <laughs> <laughs> and so many um, things to take into consideration. <laughs> so usually when we do that lesson, I I put it in Les's truck, <laughs> and I keep the nukes where I can put them uh, in line with the road. Yeah. But he has uh, his pickup truck. We put we put the first two double hives, so that's four, um, forward and, and following the road on the combs. And then the next two, we put them the other way around. We could have put them the same way, but it was easier to put them um, uh, perpendicular. So we had eight colonies. And you know, if you can fit eight um, Langstroth hives. I don't think you can fit eight of them in the bed of a pickup truck. You'd have to stack them as well. Yeah, they would have to be stacked. So it, it depends on if there's legs on them or not, because if they have the legs attached and they're not removable, you're only going to get two in there. And the legs are off, you can do three or four on the bottom and then another three or four on the top. We make sure we can undo the legs from the outside. Yeah, you guys have made yours very, very modular as far as being able to yes. assemble or disassemble easily or the end pop down so that you can stick a nuke yeah. on it and integrate it in. Exactly. Yeah. So again, resourceful and clever. Well, the thing is that I, I like to simplify my life. So I spend a lot of time up at night trying to think of solution to not only make it simpler, more practical, more versatile, but also cheaper, right? Because all that stuff, uh, that's the, it's, today is the topic of space, but you can build a top bar hive the way we're doing it with reclaimed wood. It doesn't require precision milling. And even if you're buying brand new wood at the, expensive cost we used to be able to do it for 30 bucks for two colonies or three right so you save a lot of money and again you don't need anything extra yeah now if you have colonies that are growing bigger um then you can remove partitions and let them grow in there yes right. they will be limited by the four feet but nothing stops you if you're not moving your hives from making them longer i wouldn't go above six feet i think five feet is probably a good size and, and, you know, if you manage it properly and you remove, you know, if you're harvesting and doing things yeah. like that, yeah, then, then the space shouldn't ever be, space. right. Yeah. Should not be a problem. So not to be completely 100% top bar yeah. here, everybody, there are other ways that you can still be clever and resourceful. So say you've got Langstroth equipment, but you do like the concept of not having to lift the boxes, build a long lane. That's right. Make a Langstroth that's long slack. and horizontal and still use your frames, but then you can get rid of all those extra boxes and all the extra equipment, and you're dealing with a box per colony that functions like a top bar. It doesn't have to be expanded upon. It doesn't have to be contracted. Your frames can stay inside there. So if you take them out and extract them and put them back in and they clean them up, it's fine. It's on that vertical surface. You can also put partitions in there if you need to, mm -hmm. to slow it down, you know, condense the space. You could put more than one colony in there. So you can accomplish all these same tasks, eliminating, yeah, you're still going to have some frames and you may still have to have an extractor, but you've just eliminated a storage shed full right. of additional medium boxes or deep boxes that you'd have to put out there on these colonies. So mm -hmm. there are ways that you can do that and you can still facilitate space management and condensing things down and make it work to your advantage and not necessarily have to deal with 
multiple boxes that have to go right. somewhere in the winter when you take them back off, you know, and like, oh God, what am I going to do? I'm take out a second mortgage so I can have another building. <laughs> exactly. So I'll do you one even better in the favor of a Langstroth at this point. And if you really, really want frames and you really have invested in those frames and you've built all of them very tediously and in all stuff, um, you don't necessarily want to give up on that. Although I will say that Langstroth equipment retains its value and it's easy to sell it if you're not doing it like John Swan. If you don't sell it for pennies <laughs> on the dollar. It <laughs> Just make it leave. <laughs> right. Uh, but the point is that, uh, you know, you don't necessarily have to have just horizontal length trough. They can be pricey or hard to make. But what I would recommend is that if you insist on having length trough frames and you insist on having top uh, uh, vertical length troughs, I would recommend very strongly in the sake of uh, in the spirit of space management to have at least one long length in your yard, because at that point, it's a give all take all. When you do those uh, splits, when you do those combination of, of uh, contracting two colonies together, one was weak or whatever, when you've got a missing frame, you can take one from that long length strauss and put it anywhere you need it. You can have that colony just, that could be your like give all take all colony. Yeah. And even if you don't have enough in that box, in that long length trough, it doesn't matter, right? As long as you have that, that uh, space for the bees, right. uh, you've got, you could be missing two or three at the end. It doesn't matter because they haven't built up all the way to there. Right. They're not going to, they're not going to do the same as what they do in the eight or 10 frame box, where if there's a frame missing, yeah. they're going to build comb in that void. Well, yes. there's no void until the end of the box and they're not going to need it until they've reached that point. So they're not going right. to go all the way over there find the empty hole and build a comb just because, you know. And um, for the spirit of space management, let's talk about space management and the nest itself. It's so much easier to manage uh, space in horizontal configurations than it is when you've got a vertical and some horizontal at the same time, that which is the case in a vertical length trough. So all of a sudden you have your bird's nest, you know exactly where it's at. It's by the entrance. You have one comb of honey usually at the front, then you have your bird's nest, then you have your um, pollen and then your honey, right? And then your dry comb. So you know where everything is. And when you're trying to uh, manage the colony for swarming prevention or contractions, or you're mixing two colonies that are too weak together, you can just make space. You can just pull the bar that you need, or the frame that you need. And we do that in top bars, right? So, but you could do that as well. And you would be amazed how much simpler it is to manage in the horizontal line uh, rather than the vertical. It, well, it, you don't have separation between boxes. You right. don't have to reverse boxes. You don't They're have also not going to create their brood's nest potentially in the middle no. of two boxes to where exactly. when you separate a box, you've literally cut the brood's nest in half. Now you don't know if the queen's up in that box or down in this box and you got to sort exactly. through everything. It's very methodical front to back when you go through and do your management or back to front. Technically, we usually start in the rear and work our way up. Um, so you, you're not worrying about all these other things. You're not worrying about ripping brood in half because they built burr comb in between your top box and your bottom box, you know, like right. there's all these different things that simplify that process greatly, regardless if it's a long lane or right. if it's a top bar. <laughs> so I'm very biased, not necessarily, yes, towards top bars, but mostly <laughs> I am biased towards horizontal beekeeping because it's so much easier. It's so much less stressful on the bees as well, because when you're opening it up, you start from the back 
and you don't necessarily expose the bird's nest. You don't go in the middle of the bird's nest and crack it open unless you need to. Right. And you can also keep either a canvas or boards on top of the frames that you're not looking at right now. You only open a small amount and that works both with frames and top bars, right? Yep. So there's a whole lot of advantages to doing horizontal beekeeping. And yes, if you insist on keeping the frames, which I don't like for many reasons, other reasons, um, you could do it with a long length truss. So you don't have to go top bar if you want to do horizontal management. And that's something that's very important to know. Yeah. And so, so you started off with Langstroth's and you like the idea of top bar, but you don't want to invalidate all the stuff that you've already done modify some boxes or build a long box, still be able to utilize all of your equipment, still be able to utilize your extractor, but just get rid of the monotony of additional boxes that have to be put right. on and taken off and, and done. And it will simplify your life so much. So much. Yes, it will you know, be a revelation. And it will also teach you to start managing your uh, bees horizontally, which a lot of the our apprentices uh, have done the Langstroth to long Langstroth, horizontal Langstroth transition. And now they're looking at, well, now that I know this works so much better, I'm totally willing to go and look into top bars. And because it's so much cheaper and you don't have to store anything and it's so much easier to make those top bar hives with very limited woodworking skills. Yeah. Uh, if you go to our plans uh, on our website with slash plans, b-mindful.com slash plans, the plans are for free. You can even watch a video that shows you how one of our students is doing it. And, and so the simplicity of it makes it so that if I wanted to, if I had the wood already stocked up uh, on site, I could make 10 of them, complete 10 of them in one day, bars and everything. Yeah. And I, that means I could host 20 colonies, if not more. Right. And all that for, let's say, 10 of them, that would be uh, about three, 300 bucks, 500 bucks to host 20 colonies. I, I you know, there's nothing easier than that. And, and the other thing I'm going to switch gear. The other thing is about space management. Um, I want to talk about uh, comb resources. Um, drone comb is your gold when you're doing beekeeping, especially if you have several colonies. It's what it allows you to help colonies get a head start or get faster to uh, give to a swarm, to give to a split some additional resources, to, get, to make some space for the queen to lay more eggs um, or to, uh, for the bees to store more honey. So all that stuff, um, whether it's a top bar or a Langstroth, comb is comb at some point, Right. And what do you do with it when you're not when you don't have it in the hive that the bees are keeping it? Yeah. And uh, Langstroth, they, it goes out. You've got to make sure that you got all the moisture out of it. You've got to a lot of times freeze it so that if there are any eggs or larvae on there, of anything that could be detrimental to it, they die. Then mm -hmm. you need to seal it and store it somewhere uh, so that it's not in heat. So it's not going to melt and it's not going to necessarily be fragile. And like, there's so many things that come along with that, that storing just the comb itself can be a nightmare. Right. And so when you have uh, larvae or any kind of um, potentially even um, um, pollen, but mostly larvae, if you freeze them, you get rid of some of those issues and whatever, but you have, if you have too many of them, freeze them, thaw them out, store them in the bag or whatever, it's going to be a little bit harder than if you have just pure drone comb. I recommend freezing only drone comb without anything in it. Yeah, that, that's anything. what I do. Yeah. 
If it's hey, got brood or something, it needs to stay. I usually don't take out. that out of there, right? Because yeah. that, that's going to be a mess. And if you did freeze it for some reason, say you had an infestation going on and you took that frame out and you froze it to kill the infestation, well, then you need to put it back in the colony so they can clean it up. But exactly. you wouldn't take that and try to store it because that'll actually mold and, and get nasty. But yeah, just gross. from the standpoint of empty comb, comb that right. you have that you want to use for later, that was the, the premise of that. Exactly, but space management wise, you have to be, if you're gonna keep it outside of, a, either you're gonna keep it in the freezer, which is gonna take space, freezer space, yep. or you're gonna store it somewhere else. And then you're gonna have to make sure you protect it from mice, uh, wax moths, everything. So that's something to keep in mind as well. If you're gonna do frames um, with, with combs, that's natural, if you're gonna do foundation mostly, it's not necessarily a Langstroth versus top bar issue here. It's a, a foundation, versus natural comb. So you can freeze both of them, foundation drone comb and uh, natural drone comb. Um, but if you're doing um, cut comb or crush, uh, crushed uh, comb honey, uh, then you're getting rid of that requirement. You don't have to store that over the, the That's winter. True. And so, then you also get an, an additional valuable resource because at yes. one point, Les had said that he made in, I think it was in New Mexico, he oftentimes made more money selling his wax than he did selling his honey. So that's still a valuable resource. People need that. They use it for all kinds of things. You can do, okay, so you can sell it as is. Uh, you can sell it bulk. You can sell it in, in uh, raw raw form, or you can do a whole bunch of things. I think that um, candles is probably too wax intensive for my taste. I think it's a little bit wasteful when it comes to wax usage, uh, but you can do all kinds of things. You can do um, uh, luminaries. You can do... Um, uh what you call that uh beeswax wraps you can do uh soaps you can do lip balms you can do all kinds of stuff and you can make a lot of money because wax sells for i uh, i don't remember how much but twice or three times or maybe even more than that um for for compared to honey and things so it's a lot more valuable than honey is and um again so I, I learned something that I didn't know, but what, how much does one pound of wax hold as far as uh, liquid honey is concerned? How much oh, honey? Now What's see, that's, that's a trick question because when we talk about that whole conversion that it takes 10 pounds of honey to make one pound of wax, you're, you're thinking in blocks and in reality, yes. that comb is very thin and very thinly spread out on that wax. Right. So one comb, you know, you, you've got this thing that, that measures... If it's in a top bar, you know, it's it's going probably like 17, 16 to 17 inches across and it goes down about seven to eight inches. You've got this big chunk of comb. If you cut that whole comb off and you melt it down, mm -hmm. you may end up with enough wax to fill up a milk cap. Like it's ridiculous. Yeah, ridiculously. Yes. So it, it, yes, it takes a lot of uh, nectar to for the bees to make the wax they need to use uh, for one pound of uh, wax, but one pound of wax will host 22 pounds of honey. So yeah, they don't really yeah. need that much uh, to your point. It's, it's ridiculous how much they can stretch it and how light it is on the, on the bar. Yeah. Um, but it holds so, quite a bit of weight that, that bar that weighs basically nothing more than the wood itself right? suddenly turns into a seven pound bar when it's capped full of honey and it's supported by this thin membrane of wax. 
Okay, so that's another space, you know, that's what the, the space management from the bees. You know what else you can do with that drone comb? You can actually, uh, especially if you don't have enough space in your boxes, whether it's a horizontal or vertical, and you don't have space to put a feeder and you want to put it inside the hive, which is the best thing to do, uh, you could use the drone comb, especially the larger cells that they use for drones or honey, and use whatever sugar syrup that you want to put in the hive and just kind of put it horizontal and just drizzle it on it until it kind of sinks into the, the cells. Gently flip it over, do the same thing. And then you can put it vertical. And of course, everything is slanted this way. It's not going to come out. This could be your feeder. The only thing I would caution when you do that is to make sure you don't do it in a time when it's too much robbing because you do have a lot of syrup exposed. Even yep, if it's yep. inside a hive, the bees on the air in the area will smell it. Like it's like blood in the water. They're like sharks, yep. right? And, and they will come. So if you do that, I would make sure that you don't have a big entrance, that you have a very tiny entrance and the calling that's somewhat strong enough to take care of it. Also yeah. make sure you don't have a huge hive beetle problem either because yes. wet sugary comb is going to be a buffet for them if right, it's right, not right. in track you know, under under control and in check <laughs> especially if it's had old cocoons in it yes yeah. if it's older dark comb yeah absolutely yeah. yeah they're looking for the protein so yeah all that stuff is kind of a all length there so you have to take into account the space of the equipment the space, the footprint of the hives, the space that you have to transport all the stuff, the space you have to uh, store it in, in a warehouse or in your garage and it takes over your life. I don't have anything stored for top bars. I, everything that's taking over and overwhelming me is a Langstroth. Yep. Um, the space of the brood nest, how you manage it, the space for storing food, the space to store frozen comb. There's all kinds of things we can do and talk about space when it comes to beekeeping. That is true. And the funny thing, so the irony is not lost on me that we are having this conversation literally the week of Christmas where everybody's going to be getting <laughs> all this new stuff that I they're know. so excited about. And here we are going, y'all need to get rid of some of your boxes and make space and, and, and simplify. Before you order those Christmas presents, think this through. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, too little too late on that one because they'll yeah. all be getting opened in like three days from now. So yeah, that's a that's a fun little uh, oopsie on that one, but it's still, it's a good thought process, especially with winter being here for us in the United States, mm -hmm. thinking about what you want to do to your apiary and changes that you may, may want to make for the next season. You can spend your off season to the winter building a top bar or building your first long laying mm -hmm. so that you can try this in the spring and see. And you know what, if it's not for you and you want to do it the old fashioned way and you want to pick 20 boxes up and move them, you go for it. More power to you. If you don't care about your back, then good for you. <laughs> right. If you want to look like the old hunched over beekeepers of the past, that's fine too. It's your body. Do with it as you choose. <laughs> We're not here to tell you how to beekeep. We're telling you, you know, what we know and from our experience, what we, what makes sense, but to us anyway, the other aspect of things is space is if you're anything like me, hi, I'm Natalie, I'm a bee addict. I'm a That's bee right. Leader, right. Welcome to, welcome to BAA. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Anonymous. 
then you're going to very rapidly run out of space for uh, the colonies because you want to keep in mind intensity and and, and capacity um, for for the area to hold uh, however many colonies. By the way, how you can tell is that if you're constantly feeding your colonies, they don't don't have enough food. That means you have too many colonies, so you should scale back. I know that we all want to have this many colonies and whatever, especially when we do ag exemption, it might be a requirement. But if you don't have to have a certain number in one area, I would cut back and put them in another area with better forage or spread them out. So that's the, there's a couple of things here, uh, is knowing that for a certain number of colonies, you're going to want to spread them out between different out yards. But also in, in your own out yard, and John, you can speak to that. And I was doing that on my own out yard, on my own home yard as well how close to each other do you space them out and you have them spread out everywhere because it is better for the colonies to be further away. Yeah. Um, It eliminates drift. Um, When they're all in a line and they all face the same direction, you wind up with drift where the outer colonies are going to get more bees. The inner colonies are always going to be weak and struggling, but that also means that those outer colonies are now exposed to any pathogen or problem or pest or parasite that the inner colonies had because all the foragers went back to the other ones. So by spreading them out, you alleviate some of those things because in nature, they don't build their colonies right side by side. They they try to give a good bit of distance between them and the next nearest feral colony out there. So that's that's actually a very valid point. Right. So did you know that uh, I just found out as well, because I, with my apprentices, I'm rereading that very excellent book, The Biology of the Honeybee with Winston. And so I'm, I'm kind of gathering more uh, things from it. It's like you reread the book 20 times and you're always going to get something new. That's a very good book. I think I've mentioned it before. That's uh, written from the perspective of the biology from a biologist, some somebody that was not a, necessarily a beekeeper per se that was looking uh objectively at what at what bees do and um it's a really good book um by winston but the point is that the to your to your comments when bees swarm they i was asking as a trivia to my apprentices and everybody was saying two miles away from the mother colony five miles away from the mother colony did you know that the preferred distance for a swarm to get away from its uh mother colony is only a third of a mile that's it's interesting so close actually yeah and, and and kind of that's interesting because uh you would think that when we talk about moving colonies you have either have to do it within four feet or four miles or whatever right, yeah and that kind of uh, goes against that that wisdom to well it, it does it, but it, so they're not a third of a mile is still not four foot from the next colony So you've eliminated drift, but it does make it perplexing on the intensity for the area. So um, if anybody wants to get more information about this, both here on Patreon and on the main podcast, Les and Natalie did one of the beekeeping corners. I want to say it was around seven or eight that is titled intensity thresholds. Oh, yeah, that's right. You guys go really in depth on how you should have everything set up and those different aspects to consider. But it is interesting to note because the colony is going to forage preferably within a mile radius, a circular mile radius of their colony. If the next colony that splits off of it is only going a third of the mile over, there's some drastic overlap there in their mile radius. And Mm -hmm. so competition for the food sources in those areas are going to go up. And that, that is a little counterintuitive. That's, that is one of those things, you know, bees are highly intelligent and I always give them a lot of credit, but there's always one thing that has often 
the logic, they, they miss logic in one degree. When you do, when you look at it from a removal standpoint and you're doing a removal and you're removing this colony from like the roof line of a house and you open it up and you can see that it has clearly melted and that colony has absconded right. or died multiple times over, but yet new colonies keep moving in because it smells like bees. There's remnants of wax there. The pheromones are there. So they're like, oh, it must be a great place to live. They missed that one logic question of it's if it's so great, why isn't there still a colony here? They're missing <laughs> the time lapse. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They didn't stop and say, but but then where did everybody go? Or why aren't they still here if it's so wonderful? Like, you know, it's that whole too good to be true scenario sometimes. Right. So we talked about space where we're evoking time. I think there's a space time kind of a thing. The and continuum. The dimensions kicking in here a little bit. <laughs> the, the, uh, the DeLorean's going to show up in a moment. Right. We're going to go back to the future. <laughs> Maybe there are secret little Einsteins over there. <laughs> there. There could be. You never know. There, yeah. there very well could be. Wow. See, so there you go, everybody. Something to think about right before you open up all of your Christmas gifts, all those packages and boxes, and maybe all no the beekeeping supplies. No regrets whatsoever, but just food for thought for the off season yeah. to go through and consider how you may be able to simplify your life, simplify mm -hmm. your beekeeping practices and beekeeping actually activities as you go through and do things and uh and just see and you know what again do it try one just one doesn't matter if what style it is do one and then if it works expand on it and if it doesn't that's fine you still got your other stuff you can move on with it you know and that can just be a novelty or something and it and it's great and some people like to uh uh, mess around with little things and try, you know, gadgets Tinker. and buy all the things in the catalogs and, and do experiments. And uh, I'm more of a less is more kind of a thing. Less, yeah, and less, less is definitely less, less is more. Less is more. <laughs> the minimalist and the permissive and minimalist beekeeper. But I find that I don't like to complicate my life. I've already got so many things that I'm doing. And it's not necessarily the case for somebody that's retired and that's got a couple of three hives in their backyard and that has a huge storage shed. And, and so Dispen everybody's disposable income. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it, it, do what fits your goals and your philosophy. Um, but if you're looking for simpler and cheaper and lighter, I would say horizontal beekeeping is a lot better. And, and, and even cheaper is the top bar kind of if you build it yourself and or you, you just buy one that can host several colonies. So yeah, the, the only thing that I will say as a final parting thought, when we say horizontal beekeeping, I would initially exclude Layens hives, that specific style, because now you're invalidating both the compatibility of your laying stroth yes. and the simplicity of your top bar. Yes. You you then go and you complicate it and you overcomplicate it because you've got frames that are not standard sizes that are way bigger and way deeper. Them. They don't go into your extractor. Uh, the honey's it, on top. So how do you harvest unless you have a huge colony that's well yes. established? Yeah, it's it. I would say stay away from that because if you go and you just do a search for horizontal hives, you are going to come across layens hives, and I would say no. Focus on long lang yeah. or focus on top bar, and and just use that to get your feet wet. And then afterwards, if you decide you want to venture down that road and you want to be one of those tinkerers that has all the different toys, go for it. So it, I have two layons because in our teaching apiary, we've got 
we're trying to get one of each styles and have two of them because you should always have two of each style. Uh, that's and, how the addiction starts. You can't have just that's one. That's how I started. <laughs> yeah. And then what I would say, the, my biggest pet peeve, I mean, it is expensive. It's hard to make yourself. So you depend on the supplier or somebody that's going to build it for you. Um, it's uh, it's also got the non-standard frames, but mostly it has those non-standard frames yep. because not all of a sudden, very few people are going to be able to make those. So it's not just the practicality of extracting or anything like that. Is you really rely? You have you depend completely on the supplier of those very uh, niche frames. Yeah, Me, or you're doing weird things like you're you're zip tying a deep and a medium together to try to equate the same volume. Like I've seen people well, do some strange stuff, and it's, way, it's not a great idea. By the way, don't take a Langstroth frame and flip it ninety degrees to fit in those lay-ins. I nope. have seen uh, whoever shall not be named doing that. Yes. And it is not the right orientation for the bees. Nope. I cannot believe the damage it must be doing to the colonies. Um, it, it is so counter to nature. Yeah, because your your plastic foundation is designed to where the those hexagonal shapes that are on there, they're already oriented for the bees to draw them out at a specific angle. And if you turn that on its side, they have to then accommodate by drawing it and curving it to go upward so that gravity still takes place. It's extra work and it's not the natural form and process of things. Well, worse than that, you put in drunk comb with brood to seed alliance. And oh, no, yeah, no, 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 no. Right, yeah. because now that's already drawn comb that's going one direction. And now the bees are going to do the next crop of anything. Yep. You've messed up because they they it have that cell at that angle on purpose, and certain bees develop in certain orientations on purpose. The queen hangs upside down. The other, you know, like they're not meant to lay on their side. <laughs> that's not right. how that's supposed to work. So, so that that's something to keep in mind that it's not. It might kind of work or looks look like it kind of work, but I don't think that I think that long term is a very detrimental to the health of the colony. And, and can introduce a whole lot of problems that they already have enough to fend off uh, mites and viruses and all that stuff. So yeah, we didn't we, talk about our other favorite hive, which was the uh, flow hive and how that could save some space because you have those extraction things and, well, and all get stuff. It, but. it saves some space if you think that the commercial is reality. Y yes. But only if you think the commercial is reality because in reality, you still, so what they, when you buy a flow hive, now we're way off topic here, but if, when you buy a flow hive, you're getting a very pretty fancy 10 frame Langstroth deep box. And then you're getting a queen excluder. And then you're getting really expensive frames that go up in this top box, which is the true beauty of the flow hive. That's the actual flow apparatus where you can crack it open. Now, what you're not getting is the box that needs to go in between those two things so that right. the bees actually have food for themselves so you're not right. robbing them blind every time. But and that you're, that Yeah, and you're not using that flow box till the second year. So you exactly. take that pretty box and you just put it in storage and you're going to have basically a Langstroth colony that you use for the first year. Hope right. they make it into a second box, which you had to supply because it did not come with your flow hive. Then you can put on your queen excluder and then you can put on your flow apparatus. But... When they go through and they fill that up and you crack it open and you make sure that it's good and it can be extracted, you don't need, you, you know, don't, you do, you save, you save all this extra stuff for certain. Um, it can make a mess 
And I would actually recommend taking the flow hive off of the colony. If you live in an area where it gets really hot because they will leak. Um, we tested that at Travis County. Um, yes. Mr. Kirkland had yes, one. And he, yeah. And he cracked it open and he showed the honey was so thin because it was so hot. It was moving so fast. It overflowed the drainage channels and seeped out the bottom of the flow frames. So he was losing what, like a quarter to half a cup of honey. Have a tray underneath because yeah. he knew that was going to happen. Yep. And that, that that's inside your colony. What you're doing is you are now flooding Showering. the bottom boxes with yeah. like a half a cup of honey. That's just oozing out of everything. Drowning, so, drowning of the queen, you know, right. all this you stuff. know, I don't know why so, my colony died. <laughs> like, exactly. So my my thinking on that is that I would get because they fit on regular Langstroths. So I would get only the flow super yeah, with yeah. with uh, and put that on the regular Langstroths. Save yourself but a little then, bit of money. But then again, make sure you don't put it right away because that's too much space for the bees until they need that extra space. Yeah. And and uh, once you've harvested, in theory, you should actually, unless the season is uh, still going, you should yeah. take it out. The flow apparatus not goes away. All winter because all that heat escapes and is heating up the plastic and not the bruise nest underneath. There's you also, um, just for note, if you put a flow hive together and you leave it all in one thing and you do not manage your colonies, and the colony crashes and uh, wax moths take oh, no. over. The wax moths will eat up everything down below and then they will crawl up and those permanent plastic cells make a perfect place for them to spin their cocoons and go oh. through their pupation and you will never get those out of the no. flow frames. Yeah. So you now have flow frames that have been corrupted by wax moth, cocoon, silk, larva, blah, and it's all destroyed unless you want to sit there with toothpicks and tweezers and try to clean that shit out. And I don't have it's time for that. It's sticky. Yeah. I don't know if you can ever get recover it. Yeah. How do you know? Have you, I've never thought about that. Did you? I had a consultation client that did that. Oh my gosh. Yep. And so and there's that. And then also when it's full of honey and you still have to inspect your colony underneath for health. So that yeah, you got to take it off happen, to get you down have there. to lift up that entire thing or empty it out before you do. Yep. And they're super heavy, empty. Right, because it's a ton of plastic and the wire and metal mechanisms that allow them to shift so that the honey super can drain. Heavy. Yeah, they are They are not, They the only thing that a flow hive simplifies is the extraction process. That's you it. still have to manage that colony like a normal Langstroth colony. Right. Every couple of weeks, you're taking boxes off, you're going through, you're looking through stuff. It doesn't simplify anything else. In fact, it, in, in the regard of taking it off makes it more difficult. I'd rather take a frame either with natural comb and cut it out and do cut comb or strain, a crush and strain or one that's got foundation and scrape off I've the, done that before too. the honey into my buckets as a crush and strain kind of a thing rather than doing the, the spending the extra money and then doing the extra lifting and then still have all those issues. The Again, last, less is more. <laughs> the last time I extracted honey, I had already cleaned everything up I was done and then I moved a box and there were three deep frames of capped honey, but just three. And I was like, first off, it's going to be out of balance. I'm ultimately not going to be able to get all three of them done at once. 
I don't want to clean up all that crap again. So that's exactly what I did. I took the hive tool and I just yeah. gouged everything off of it into a bucket. Like I was you doing crush and strain. <laughs> Those pastry cutters are great. They just go great. Just right there. It's super easy. I mean, yeah. I, I cannot stand extractors to be honest with you. I don't like the cleaning. I don't it's like having mess. to store them space wise. Yep. And you only need them once in a season, basically. It's just if kind of if you're me, because you don't want to clean it multiple times. Yes. But if you extract in different phases at different times of the season, you're getting it out, you're getting it prepped, you're using it, you're cleaning it, you're storing it, you're getting it back out, you're getting it prepped, right. you get no. Yeah. <laughs> I also find that you lose a lot of honey to the extractor that you can inside. Well, because right. it also, even if you let it set there for a day, you're running the risk of the honey drawing moisture, but everything is now down in the bottom, but that bottom, it kind of curves and it's not gonna be at the actual opening so then you've got to tilt it and even still tilting it, you still got honey that's down around the very bottom of that. That's not going to come up and go out the honey gate. So yeah, you do still lose honey too. I find it wasteful from that standpoint. And even if you let the bees clean it off, they die, they get stuck in there. They yep. just kind of, yeah. You know what though? Ultimately what it boils down to, there is something viscerally gratifying with crushing comb Absolutely. with your hands. <laughs> just and, taking and, it, know, just, just smashing it, let it run over. It's yeah. <laughs> there's something to be said also by, you know, if you got a little bit of pollen in there and it's just the floral aspect of things, it's just so good. Uh, yeah. I, I find it tastes a lot better personally. Yeah. But. And it is going to have more higher pollen content in it too, because as you're crushing that, everything kind of comes out and gets mixed in together. So you're going to have bigger granules of pollen and things mixed in right. with your honey, which makes it closer to the more natural aspect of it too. So another point, if you have a bunch of honey that you're not going to consume right away, put it in smaller jars and freeze it. Yes. So freezer space is going to be needed, but you will keep the freshness of your honey much longer and it will not granulate on you. Like those pollen uh, particles and all stuff will lead to faster uh, crystallization. It will not happen when you put it in the freezer or at least so much slower that you should be fine. Yeah, very true. Wow, see, look at all that wonderful information for everybody out there. Uh, I hope that you all have a wonderful holiday season and uh, whatever you celebrate and however you celebrate, I hope that your holidays are just fantastic. And uh, we will definitely be talking to everybody here between the holidays and uh, we'll, we'll see oh, yeah. what that'll look like. I don't know what it's going to look like, but we'll, we'll put something out there. I think it might be uh, maybe pros and cons of, of things that maybe we would have done differently, which actually we hit on a lot of those in here. We did. <laughs> <laughs> so those are, those are kind of just the different little aspects to take in mind there, but enjoy your holidays, spend time with your friends, with your family, celebrate. Your loved, you ones. Celebrate. Your yeah. loved one. That's right. Sometimes it's the, the family we choose versus the other. They're more entertaining. And, and be mindful of your actions and how you uh, live your life. That's right. And how you treat others. That's right. All right. Be good, everybody. Be mindful. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. This Hive Jive production was made possible by amazing patrons like you. And we appreciate your support. To all our Hive Jive junkies out there, you truly are the bee's knees.